Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm Richard Kraus. You know, years ago when I was a kid, my parents used to do this thing, they call it go visiting. And probably in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, everyone calls it something a little different, but for us it was a, a simple thing. You just went and dropped by, you visited, you probably didn't call ahead, you loaded everyone in the car and you just stopped by someone's house. And inevitably you'd stay for a cup of coffee, maybe a meal if something was brewing on the stove, but they were quick sociable visits uh, that just sort of kept you connected with your friends and family. Now as a kid, I used to kind of dread going visiting because frankly there wasn't a lot in it for the kids, unless occasionally, you know, a cool relative from like New York or Ontario would happen to be down there and they could tell you about all the cool things that you were either too young to do or geographically unable to do. And I'm going to think of that today because we've got some really cool people here. You've chosen a really good day to come visiting at the House of Krebs. Now, over 30 years ago, my first two guests decided that they were going to do something that most 11-year-olds don't do, and that is make a movie. But not just any movie. They're going to remake Raiders of the Lost Ark shot by shot, and they spent seven years trying to pull this together, trying to make it happen, and, you know, it was, for them, a passion. For me, when I look back on it now, because there's a documentary called Raiders, the documentary about the greatest fan film ever made, I look back and I see a purity of spirit. I look back and I see these people who are not cynical. They are not driven by the same kinds of things that tend to drive fan culture today. They decided to remake their favorite movie because they loved it. And the love that they had for it was pure. Their enthusiasm was pure. And the result is this documentary. Now, eventually, they finished the movie. It took them decades, but it got finished. So seven years, then they all go their separate ways after seven summers, and then they come back together to reshoot the famous scene, the airplane scene in Indiana Jones, uh, but they do it as adults. They have a real plane and they blow it up. I'm not going to give anything away because you'll have to go see Raiders, the documentary about the greatest fan film ever made. Uh, but I have two of the guys here, Chris Strompolos and Eric Zala. The third one, Jason Lamb, wasn't involved in the documentary so much, so he's not sitting in with us. But I think you'll want to hear from these guys. And then after that, a little bit later on, uh, we're going to hear from Tempest Storm. Tempest Storm was JFK's mistress. Tempest Storm is one of the most famous burlesque dancers to ever grace a stage. Tempest Storm is Tempest Storm. I loved talking to her, and you're going to love listening to it. First up, though, let's go back a ways. Let's go back 30 years and find out what it was about Indiana Jones, about Raiders of the Lost Ark, that touched us all so much. As a film about a film, which is a tribute to a film, it is utterly unique, I think. And I, I just wanted to ask you uh, for some background here. Do you remember the very first time you saw Indiana Jones, and why did it have such an effect on you? Um, uh, that's a great question. You want to start, Chris? Yeah, I'll start. Um, so this is Chris. 
Uh, I think for me, you know, coming out of the Star Wars phase, uh, you know, late 70s, obviously a huge Han Solo fan, and, and Lucasfilm did such a great job at pushing Raiders, that when I saw Raiders, it was just, uh, you know, I wasn't conscious of this, certainly as a kid, it just was the, the impression was so strong that all the elements in terms of lightning in a bottle in a cinematic way came together. You know, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a separable kind of thing. And, and for us and our generation, I don't know if we had ever seen such a perfectly crafted, mythologically aligned hero. And he was human. He was accessible. He was smart. He was savvy. He was, you know, uh, macho and, and academic and, and flawed and could get hurt and, the historical context was interesting and and everything was just perfect and this this larger than life character just kind of kind of blew my mind and really affected me and and he did so many cool physical things and got himself in and out of trouble and i just thought for me it was really like i wanted to create a playground for myself and see what it would be like to have those experiences and eric I remember the first time I saw Raiders in the now-defunct Ocean Springs uh, cinema. Um, this was, of course, before you know Chris and I had had uh, had met. But I remember, you know, uh, I didn't go in with with big expectations. I was like, oh, okay, it's supposed to be great. I was, in fact, a little skeptical. And I remember distinctly when the boulder scene happened, when this colossal boulder shoots toward down the uh the cave passageway towards uh indy and i'm running just to, as chris uh, has said uh, other times put my brain open as well i didn't know movies could do that i didn't know <laughs> that it could be that that good um that thrilling that much of a ride um and it affected me like nothing else do you have some advice for your teenage selves now, looking back? Hmm. Well, you know, I think in retrospect, I mean, obviously we weren't sophisticated enough to, <clears throat> to have such, such forethought um, then, uh, but it was certainly fortunate that we chose, chose well. Um, you know, we joked that if, you know, we'd take Smoking the Bandit to remake, <laughs> nobody would have cared, <laughs> and we probably wouldn't be talking right now. Um, but the the odd thing uh, about remaking Raiders, I mean, I, I love movies, you know, I, but I've no 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 pull to say remake, uh, say Godfather, even though I have an immense amount of respect for that film. The weird thing is that remaking Raiders, uh, speaking to my inner child, seems like a fun idea even now, even having done it, even having spent so much of my life being immersed in Raiders. It is, as Chris put it lightning in a bottle, and I know of no other film that kind of captivated us uh, in that way. Advice to, to young filmmakers, and we have been, in fact, approached by folks, you know, young filmmakers after screenings from time to time, um, you know, one to remake uh, uh, Temple of Doom, actually. Um, another, uh, folks wanted to remake Lord of the Rings. You know, I would say pick wisely, um, you know, something that right hits that high bar of, uh, of being worthy of years of your life. And that's a high bar indeed. But for us, it, it was Raiders. And, uh, and, and I think 
that you know it's one of those rare movies that that uh, undeniably does does meet that high criteria. That's what it would be for me. In Chris? Yeah, for me, um, I you know I'll I'll kind of you know fall into more of an esoteric uh, space, <laughs> but you know you never really know what journey you're going to go on, you know, and I think. You know, in terms of giving myself advice, um, you know, back then on a journey that I didn't know we were going to have, you know, it's it's a little challenging. But I think, yeah, I mean, passing on advice is choose your projects, uh, like Eric said, and always finish. I mean, I think that's really the most critical piece of advice, and that's really the foundation. I think what of of and the spine of of. Um, of the story for us, you know, including the friendship, is that we finished, you know, and that's that's something that's so interesting, and it gives us a a completed thing from which to speak, you know, and and a really nice place to um, give others advice because we did finish, uh, you know, and um, and so we did choose wisely, and we did finish, and and those are two really, and we did choose relationships uh, well, you know, and and I think those are really um, important criteria. I think the thing that has really captured uh, film fans, and certainly it captured the film fan in me, is uh, the idea of how pure this is. This isn't a cynical move by anybody involved. This was done for the pure love of a movie. And it might be extreme, you know, in terms of its execution. I mean, almost burning down your parents' homes and, you know, some of the stunts honestly look as though you all had death wishes (laughs) and were just trying to get hurt somehow. But there's a purity to it all that I think people are really responding to and I think that must be what Eli Roth and Harry Knowles and, and, you know, Spielberg and people like that have have, uh, seen when they see the uh, fan film that you made, when they see your remake, I think that's what it is. What do you think it is that people are responding to in such a cool way to this project? Huh. I, I, this is Eric. Uh, I, I agree. I remember distinctly when it was discovered back in 2003, Harry Knowles, um, who, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, revealed it to the world. It wasn't so much a, as a rumor on the Internet up to that point before his posted review after our, our proper world, world premiere in Austin, you know, he, he, he called it pure as well in that, you know, we clearly, when we finished in 89, you know, yeah, we would have loved for Spielberg to, to see it, but that would have been a pipe dream and just sort of put it on our shelf and, and put it away and huh, certainly never anticipated any kind of fan film movement. You know, back then, as far as we knew, we were alone in the world, um, you know, playing Indiana Jones. Come, come to find out much later, uh, not at all. Um, and lots of kids playing Indiana Jones in their backyard. We just kind of took it a little further. Um, but, but, yeah, it was uh, pure is, is actually a term that, that Harry coined then, and, and I, think, uh, I think so. You know, none of this was supposed to happen. We, we just did it for ourselves. Um, and, you know, that has served, uh, been a really good thing. Chris? Yeah, I think, you know, the, 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 the purity of intention and the purity of execution, I think, has a lot to do with how it translates to the way it affects people. And I think one of the big words that people use is that it's inspiring. It, 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 it inspired 
it inspires them, you know, because of its completionist kind of nature. You know, Eric and I pushed it over the finish line and kind of stayed true to this kind of pure vision because we simply loved the movie. And we simply were doing it, you know, for ourselves in a pure way. And um, so that, I think, for a lot of people is inspiring because, you know, people have desires and dreams and things that they want to commit to and pursue. And life pulls you off that path in many regards. And so I think there's a lot of people who... um, in a very nostalgic way and, and really in a present way, you know, are inspired and have lived are you know, they, when they watch our movie, it's a vicarious experience for them. They, they, they dig it because it, it prompts them like, damn it. You know, if, if, if these kids could have done, did this one, when they were, you know, at this age and, and, and then of course the plane scene, you know, it's this comprehensive, inspiring lesson. They'll say, okay, I can do it too. And that's what Eric and I really, I think pride ourselves on is that it gives people this wonderful surge of internal energy to kind of like go out there and tackle stuff that that's, you know, as, as John Rees Davies said in our doc, you know, bigger, bigger than ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you be, and that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's, you, that's what is exciting. Yeah. You, you can be surprised in what you can accomplish, you know, as, as adults, you have all sorts of, uh, awareness of your limitations real or perceived and uh, that was one thing that we had going for us when we embarked on this as kids is we didn't know what we were getting into and and we didn't know what what we we're trying to do was impossible and it's a damn good thing because <laughs> we would have been scared to death and uh but uh turns out you can now you turned down a lot of other documentary offers before uh this one why did you go for this team for me, this is Chris. Um, you know, when I um, do, I still have you guys on the line. I'm downtown LA. It's hard for me to hear. So. Yeah, nope, I'm here. Yep. yep. Okay. Excellent. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, I was uh, on our book tour, and I was in Utah, and uh, you know, bouncing between Salt Lake City and Park City, screening at a children's film festival, and and doing book signings and things like that. And Jeremy Kuhn was there and in attendance, and. I didn't know who he was, and he introduced himself. And so Jeremy, you know, Jeremy is, is the type of person who has a, a calm and confident way about him, you know. And when he, when we were, it was really quite a, quite a, a quick dinner. You know, we, he introduced himself. He was very excited. And, uh, and then the next day we, we met for literally like a, a 20 or 25-minute quick burger and fries kind of dinner and I just knew in that moment that it was it was the right match and I think that you know over the years I've I've certainly uh you know have made mistakes with people but I think the core Raiders team certainly starting with Eric and Jason and 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 choosing really good people my instincts have 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 served me well and and Jeremy was of that of that, you know, energy. And I just knew that he was the type of personality that just would do what he said he was going to do. And which is, you know, when a producer says he's going to do something or, or she says that they're going to do something, you want to know that that producer is going to carry it over the finish line. And that's Jeremy. And, and that's what, you know, Jeremy's a consummate producer and very calm and very insightful. And, uh, and I knew that he was in it for the long haul and that he would, live up to his word and he very much did and um told alongside tim skousen a a lovely story that eric and i are extremely um proud of 
Yeah, it's a, it's a big act of trust, you know, uh, entrusting your life, uh, telling of your life to, to someone. Because, of course, I, I mean, uh, that becomes sort of a canon, you know, regardless, you know, of how, however it plays out. And we were aware of that. And, and yeah, we've been approached by others before. And, and after Chris clued me in on this opportunity and I, uh, you know, began to communicate with, uh, with Jeremy and, and then later with Tim, um, yeah, they, they had, um, there was a trust there. There was a, an integrity uh, as, as artists and also as, as people. You know, we, we um, weren't interested in the fluff piece. You know, we, we said, you know, if we, we do this, you know, we want this to be real, sports uh, and all. And they said, great. That's kind of where we were uh, thinking, too. So it's still scary, uh, but you know that they're interested in telling the story accurately. Um, and that was important to both of us. And so we, we said, okay, we're in. And when we're in, we're, we're in. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful. We've been very hands-off and actually did see uh, a frame of the completed doc until we were sitting in the audience at South by Southwest, um, you know, with my small dad and, and wife on an And, uh... Well, and you must have been pleased. Oh, I've, uh, I, I've lost I, Eric, I guess, I yeah, Eric dropped out. Yeah, some areas of L.A. are a little, uh... <laughs> a little dodgy. Yeah, well, yeah uh, a little dodgy. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, hold on just a second, Richard. Sure. Hold on. Um, I'm going to hang out down here. I'll meet you up there. Um, so I'm here. Um, well, I'll ask you one last question, then. Uh, sure. Is the, the film that you have spent your life remaking and now is chronicled in this new film, uh, when did you watch it last? Is it still um, something you revisit? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we're, we're on tour. Uh, you know, we're on a, a national tour. We've got about 50 cities booked so far. And, you know, it's going to probably stretch well beyond that in an, a promotional effort. But just recently watched it, yeah, and it's still, um, you know, it's still very powerful. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, it becomes more of an externalized thing um, as time goes on, you know, and... Um, and the emotional, I mean, the emotional involvement is still there. Um, but I think the more times I watch it, the greater distance I have from it. And in a good way, because I realize how good it is, you know, and what a great job Jeremy and Tim did on it. You know, they really, it was, it's just executed very well. It's crafted very well as a doc, you know, right. and, and in that way, I, I feel a, a really great sense of peace. Well, it, that, I, I mean the original indie movie. Oh, Raiders, the yeah. original Raiders? Yeah. Oh, uh, I think I last saw it at the Arclight in Hollywood, maybe. Eric returning. Oh, hey, uh, Eric. Hey, hey, man. Hey, yeah, guys. and yeah, um, the most notable viewing, though, was with Eric. And, um, you know, one of our producers on the Flying Wings thing, Guy James Plunder, hooked us up with much desired tickets to a fully digitally restored screening of Raiders at the Regal Cinema downtown Los Angeles, where Spielberg and Harrison were in attendance for a Q&A. And that was probably the last time that Eric and I really sat with the film together and watched it. And it really, again, took our breath away, because even then there was so much detail that we caught and so many new things that we caught um, 
with how yeah. large and vibrant and pure it was. And it was really, uh, I could still watch the film and, and just love it. I, I don't ever get tired of it. It is one of the amazing things uh, about Raiders that continues to amaze me to this day. Is that as many times as we've seen it, it still has secrets to give. There's something about Chris Dumpolos and Eric Zala that I really admire. You know, you look at this and, and they've taken a project that meant so much to them and they made it happen. They worked it. It took them forever. It was impractical. People said, no, you almost burned down the house. You can't do this anymore. And yet they kept going and kept going. And the result is a movie that Steven Spielberg said he found inspiring. No better praise than that. Tempest Storm is a legend. Tempest Storm is the subject of a documentary that will be in theaters next week called, appropriately enough, Tempest Storm. Uh, She has had a storied career from burlesque to making films with Betty Page to jumping in bed with Elvis, JFK. Uh, I wanted to go back a little ways in this conversation. So we talk about that stuff. We get there. But I took her way back, way back before she was Tempest Storm to living in a small town in Georgia and how she got out of that small town. I left home when I was 14. And I graduated up to a bigger city. I was from Eastman, Georgia, which if you drove real fast, you'd miss it. <laughs> right. If you blink, you miss it, one of those places. Yeah. And I worked my way up to um, Hawkinsville, Georgia, then Macon, Georgia, working as a waitress. And then uh, Columbus. And uh, from Columbus, I worked my way to California. And it, was that a huge step? I mean, obviously, in your career, it's a huge step. But Los Angeles in the 1950s was, you know, the place to be. And it was a tough place to be, though, I think. Uh, it was t- it was tough, correct. And I worked as a sales uh, jewelry sales lady, and then I started working as a, as a car hop and a, as a waitress. Yeah, so a car hop was – now, was that – where the waitresses would go to the car? Go to the car and put the tray on, on, on the side. Were you on roller skates? No. No. I mean, <laughs> a couple of the girls did roller skates. Yeah. I think uh, that, that's – and I, I I missed the car hop. I've, I don't think I've ever been to a car hop restaurant, but I've seen them in the movies, and I've always been uh, fascinated by it. It just seemed to me like such – a thing that that when I see it in a film, I think Los Angeles. I think Hollywood. I think yeah, that's it, where that it happened. Was, it was very exciting yeah. at that time. And you know, Hollywood in the fifties. So you're 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 car hop. You're working as a waitress. Were you meeting famous people in that line of work? Um, no, not not exactly. No. I because I was a, a a waitress, as I said, for yeah. a while, and then. Uh, I went as a, co- a cocktail waitress, and uh, this gentleman said, uh, used to be a gentleman came in to, to see the show, and he no, to see, <laughs> I'm confused right yeah. now, <laughs> to uh, talk to me. I waited, right. I waited on him. He always stopped in for a drink. Right. And he said, you should become a dancer. And I said, dancer? What, what yeah. kind of dancing are you talking about? And I said, he said, striptease. I said, what is that? He said, well, you take your clothes off. I said, my mother would disown me. (laughs) (laughs) You're quite young at this point still. You're about 17 at this point, right? Yes, correct, correct. 
But I finally went to see her, and uh, she hired me. She's First I walk in, she says, uh, take your clothes off. And I said, I beg your pardon? She says, well, I want to see if you have any scars or anything. And I, I said, trust me, I don't have any scars. <laughs> Here's this lady, lady producer, you know. I, I said, trust me, I don't have any scars. I said, I must, I must see. So then I, I said, do you think my chest is too big for this business? She says, honey, they can't be too big for this business. <laughs> and at, she hired me. <laughs> at that point, and not to be indelicate about this, but your chest measurement was 44 at that point, right? Well, I had, they told me uh, so many measurements right. were in the news. One minute I was 40 or 44 and 48. But actually, there was about a 40. It was about a 40, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, but the exaggeration was good for business, yeah, I suppose. exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, do you remember the first time you stepped out on a stage? Yes, I do. I was wearing a purple gown, and I was using a St. Louis Blues. And I, they had backstage a, a machine where the girls made their own costumes. And I made my uh, two-piece costume out of purple satin <laughs> and I and I use uh, used uh, St. Louis blues and one, one other one other song and Lillian Hunt said who was a producer she said no matter what happens on stage just keep going so the minute I walk out on stage my the snaps were very loose on the on the bottom and the bottom fell off she so I threw it in into the wings and I just kept kept going and that was my experience the first time that I stepped on stage and what was going through your mind so your your costume kind of falls apart right. you're about to be naked in front of a room full of strangers right. what was going through your mind well at that time it wasn't like it is today right. it, it was uh, rhinestone uh, net net pants yeah. it looked like your skin with rhinestones up the back and up the front right and rhinestones on the bra right so you're not exactly naked, but you're, no, you're but for the time you were as close to naked as anyone exactly, was going to be in public exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> and were you were you scared were you uh elated to be getting the attention i i was elated at getting all this attention yeah. which from my home life you know i didn't get this kind of attention yeah so I, uh, it it was it thrilled me. I was so thrilled. <laughs> and and things happened fairly quickly after that for you. You started to get noticed. Yes, uh, I'd been in the business about six months, and the news media thought that the uh, Academy Awards were getting kind of stuffy. Right. And they uh, had a night. This newspaper reporter, I remember his name, Dick Williams came down to the theater. They were looking for a girl with a, with a big bust. And there were other girls, and they picked me. And it was called the um, the Mickey Awards. Uh, Phil Harris got an award for getting the most phone calls at the Brown Derby, which was a <laughs> famous restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I got a, a Mickey Award for having the biggest props in Hollywood. <laughs> and, and I was on my way after that. <laughs> well, because that, I've seen photos from that. So that's, uh, you know, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis were there. Correct. Like, it was Correct. a big Hollywood event. And a very small restaurant on Santa Monica Boulevard. It was a big event, yes. Yeah. And I was thrilled. I, and I'd walk out just like, you know, 
I knew what I was doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, your name, your birth name is Annie Banks. Now, you yes. are known professionally as Tempest Storm. How did that happen? Uh, Lillian Hunt, uh, the producer, she said, uh, we have to change your name. And she said, uh, what about Sunny Day? I said, I really don't feel like a sunny day. <laughs> I said, do you have another one? How about the Tempest Storm? I said, I'll take it. <laughs> Did you just like the ring of yeah, it? I like the ring of yes. Yeah. Yeah. And with your red it's hair, it seemed red. to make more sense, right? Make more sense, yes, yeah, <laughs> correct. And you legally, your your name has changed legally to Tempest Storm. Yes, now. I changed it legally in 1957. Oh, yeah, so it was a long time. Yes. Do you still think of Annie Banks? Does she exist anymore? I... Well, s- s- sort of, yeah, I guess. <laughs> sort of, kind of, but it, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. How did you meet John F. Kennedy? I met uh, John Kennedy in uh, uh, Washington. Mm-hmm. I was working a, a very beautiful nightclub there. They were switching over to having exotic dancers there. And I think on the bill with me that night was, uh, that day, was uh, a singer, a singing group. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kennedy's uh, bodyguards came came in, and they talked to me, and they said, would you like to meet uh, John Kennedy? I said, well, he's married, isn't he? And they said, well, that doesn't make any difference. <laughs> <laughs> I, I says, well, <laughs> I, I'll have to think about that. Right. Well, they came back the, the, the second night. And he said, we, it was really like it was a senator this yeah. this time. And I said, okay, I'll I will meet him. And they picked me up after the show the next night, and that's how I, I met him. You met him, and, and you and and you were friends with him I for some fr- time. I was friends with him, yes. right? And I was friends with him after he became president. Yeah. And everybody says, I bet you've been in the White House a lot of times. I said, well, I'm not going to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) You can just nod. Have you been to the White House a lot of times? Yeah, you can just nod. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And He was an absolutely fabulous man. Yeah. What do you remember most about him? I, I... Great, his mind was, and I had told him when he was when I first met him. I said, uh, "You'll be president one day, because you are so brilliant, and I'm and I admire your life, and I'm thrilled to meet you and to be involved with you, and I just one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. Yeah, and charismatic. And charismatic, yeah. yes." I know my mother was American and was devastated when he was killed. Absolutely I, devastated by that. I was in Hawaii yeah. getting ready to do a show when he was killed. And I had really bad trouble finishing the show. Yeah, but it the was, show must go on. Right? The show must go on, yes. That's it. That's all. That's Tempest Storm. Loved, loved, loved talking to her. She has stories upon stories. Uh, You could spend a lifetime and probably not get all the stories about all the people she's met, all the places she's been. It's Tempest Storm. 
check out the documentary. Uh, it's really good, and it will give you kind of a flip side of a person who got what she wanted. She wanted to become famous. She became famous. Many people treat her like an icon of burlesque, but in the film, you see that there's a price to pay for that. It's an interesting look at a famous and interesting person. Then I want to thank Chris Trampolos and Eric Zawa for dropping by their documentary. It's called Raiders, the documentary about the greatest fan film ever made. They are the subjects of it. So it's a film about a film that was a tribute to a film. It'll make your head spin a little bit, but it is pure joy, not only for indie heads, for people that are Indiana Jones films, but for people who love the idea that anything is possible and that if you wish hard enough, if you try hard enough, you can make it happen for yourself. So check out that documentary, Raiders, the documentary about the greatest fan film ever made. And while you're doing that, on the way out, don't forget to close the door because that's it. That's all there is for the House of Krauss this week. We've enjoyed having you by. Thanks, Tempest. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Chris. But most of all, thanks to you for coming by. Stop by every week. We put up a new show every Monday. You never know who's going to stop by. And, you know, if you come by for a visit, for a chat, for a listen, who knows? Maybe one of your favorites will come by too. 